Welcome to the 278th episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And we have an amazing show for you. We're going to be talking about the Amazon Madam A developer event. We are going to be discussing Wise's new business model, if we can call it that. And we're going to go on a little digression about QR codes, because we have feelings. Plus, we've got news from Intel, Fitbit, a new smart lighting brand, and a tiny little update on Wemo devices. We also have, as our guest this week, John Smee, who is Vice President of Engineering at Qualcomm Technologies and head of their cellular research efforts. He is going to help us look roughly a year and a half into the future to figure out what's next for 5G. It's actually factory focused and going to be great for the industrial internet. You'll learn about that and so much more on this week's episode. But first, let's go to a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Very. Are you looking for an IoT development team who's been there, done that? Very's award-winning full-service IoT development firm will work with you to deliver your IoT solution on time and on budget. You can learn more at www.verypossible.com. That's www.verypossible.com. Alrighty, Kevin. So the big news this week, Amazon had its Amazon Madam A live event. We're not, I thought you were going to say it. <laughs> I'm really going to struggle. Everyone should probably mute their Amazon Echo devices if they have them, just in case Kevin and I screw up, because it's eminently possible discussing this week's big news. It's inadvertent if we do it. So Yes, we're trying hard. So Amazon says that they put out 31 news items. I haven't counted all of them, but it didn't really feel like 31 <laughs> news items. But they basically fit into a couple buckets, making Madam A smarter, bringing a little bit more to the display functionality for developers. So integrating voice and animation or video kind of experiences, and then taking Madam A on the go, which is something we actually talked about last week and even the week before. So there's also a cheaper Connect Kit module out there. So... The ConnectKit module was introduced back in 2018 at an Amazon, their September event that shows off all their smart devices. And this was a module that lets you put Madam A into any device. It, it has brought us silly things like the twerking teddy bear, I believe. But it has also <laughs> brought us useful things like a fake Christmas tree that turns on when you say Madam A, turn on the Christmas tree. Could you do that with a smart plug? Yes. But would that be a little bit more, I don't know... Utilitarian, functional, yes. Yeah, any yeah, anybody can just go get an off-the-shelf kind of thing. But I mean, to actually get this module and do a little tinkering on your own, I think that's fun. So the module is now four dollars. It used to be Ooh. in the nine-ish to in the upper single dollar realm. Amazon doesn't like to get too particular, but now it's roughly $4. That's a Wi-Fi module. It also has Bluetooth for like getting it onboarded if you need that. But Amazon says that it will, it makes it cheaper and easier to get 
a physical product into the Madame A ecosystem, which is and that's after. the key exactly. I was just going to say that they're looking for people who have maybe great ideas, small startups, and obviously you don't have millions of dollars to just start buying components and testing things. Here you go, buy these at four bucks a pop and build skills. And it's also for companies that are big and just don't have the IoT development expertise. So Amazon's mentioned the Christmas tree was made by a company called Mr. Christmas that I'm not going to lie. I own a couple of their products because I'm a big Christmas fan. They're not Madame A enabled, but maybe soon they will be. They're Christmas lights, are they? No, those aren't my, those are Twinklies. Twinklies. That's right. My bad. They also have like Procter & Gamble. If you want to, I don't know, have a connected toilet paper roll. Your Charmin is almost out. I know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Okay. (laughs) Subscribe and save. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're also talking about payments. So, is part of their other news announcements. So let's dig into a couple of these. In the category of making Madam A a little bit smarter, they are adopting deep neural networks to improve Amazon Madam A's natural language understanding. And they've been applying this already, and they've seen about, if you use the DNN-based natural language understanding functionality, they're getting about a 15% improvement in accuracy. This actually is good. Yeah, that is. And this is going to be automatic. Basically, you won't have to do much. You just need to apply it to your skill and then poof, the magic of the DNN goes to work. Just to clarify, all these things are actually aimed at developers. Yes, this is their developer focused thing. Exactly. Yeah. But as a user, we're going to try to tell you what this means to you too. And this means- She'll be smarter. Or rather, will appear to understand you better. How's that? The other one that is exciting in this making Madame A smarter is conversations. It's called Madame A Conversations. It, for developers, lets developers build skills without having extensive storyboarding. So instead of saying, like, if I'm a developer and I want to build a skill where I ask Madame A to turn on the lights, I have to do a lot on the back end. So Turn on so, light, lightning, that sort yeah. of thing. It's funny you mention that because I remember a while ago, I tinkered with a skill that I got working. Actually, I got it working on Vector, of all things, to play this podcast. And I know, I know that I could do that natively, right? I could just say, tell her to play the podcast. But I actually integrate it into the morning routine. So it would then read me the news and then play the podcast, the latest episode. And when I did that, I had to create all the possible phrases of how you would ask the single intent, right? It could be play this episode of this show, or it could be play the show, or play episode number such and such of my favorite podcast, whatever it might be. So this whole conversations beta is using AI to eliminate some of the work on the back end for developers to have to create every possible way to ask a question to make something happen. Yes. And it's going to figure out the potential dialogue paths in real time, which is kind of fun. Chatbot. Yay. All right. So that is going to be exciting. On the integrating with the displays and bringing more, not just a smart speaker, but a smart display, they've got what they call APL for audio. That's letting Madame A mix speech sound effects and other stuff so you can have fun basically mixing cool stuff together. Maybe if you're on a on a video call, if you create a video chat app 
if you even can, I don't know if you can for Madam A, but maybe you want buttons on the screen that make a duck sound or people pop, a people pop. buzzer sound. Right. So the, the APL, which is the Alexa, oops, I almost did it. The Madam A presentation language adds that for audio. Yes. There's also a web API for games. Tie your audio games to a display. Wee. And they've basically done an update to the Madam A presentation language that makes it a little bit easier to design these things. So, yay. I'm not... I, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like, eh. But... Eh. And some nicer buttons in the UI are available to you. Okay, that's nice. Eh. I'm mostly into my Google displays. I really focus on Google for displays and Madam A for speakers, which is the silliest hmm. distinction, but it's just how things... It's just how things worked out in our house. You also... And here's where things get exciting. They're taken... We, we mentioned this last week, but Madam A on the go. We were talking about how can Madam A compete without a phone with Google and Apple. And this is a little bit how it's going to happen. And it does, it really involves wooing developers. One of which is really cool. So they have something called skill resumption. This is going to be in preview. And what this is, is I can start my skill asking Madame A to do something. And then I can go do something else. And then I can come back to that skill and ask Madam A a question and resume the skill. This doesn't actually have to be on my phone. This could be on anything, but I think it'll become very useful when you're on the go, personally. Yeah, I like the example that they gave with Uber. Like you would use the Uber skill to request a ride, but now you're waiting. You have maybe 10 minutes, who knows, and you might do other things, but you want to come back to that and say, how far away is my Uber? You'll be able to do that because the skill can resume in context. Yes. You can also combine Madame A skills and mobile apps, which is really interesting. So they're calling this Madame A for apps. This is also in preview. And you can pull your Madame A skill with your iOS or Android app. And this can allow some really interesting use cases, even though you're not in the Madam A app on the phone, you can say things like, Madam A, ask TikTok to start my recording if TikTok has integrated this into their app, for example. That's really cool for hands-free operation. It can be really cool just to like really kind of take control, take control of the phone through a backdoor kind of way. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, I'm going to switch the term I was going to use so I don't want to say their name. They're basically voiceifying apps that exist on your phone, if the developer wants to do that, of course, which I would think they would. There are some times when you just want to be hands-free. You don't want to have to tap a screen or find the app that's running in the background to change the next song, for example, or whatever it might be. So the theme seems to be removing friction from using Madam A in new scenarios. Yes, which is why they're also doing quick links for Madam A. Basically, Instead of having, I don't know how often you guys activate new skills, but usually you, you're like, oh, this place has a Madame A skill. And you go and you click it and it's like, okay, go to Madame A and enable the skill. So then you've got to go, you search for the skill, you enable the skill, you add your credentials, then you come back to what you were originally Friction. doing. And by that time, you've forgotten what you're doing and you're like, I've moved on. <laughs> Why am I even in this app anymore? Where's um, my Uber? <laughs> exactly. So here you can just do a link. It just links and boom, you're connected. So again, removing friction. And then here's where I am fascinated by how this is going to turn out, which is called the Name-Free Interaction Toolkit. This is a preview. 
And this is going to bring more context for Madame A. So instead of saying, Madame A, you know, open TripAdvisor. Instead, you're going to say, Madame A, help me plan my trip. And then Madame A is going to basically look for any apps that you have that might be useful for planning a trip on your phone. And it's going to open the most appropriate one or maybe the skills that you have. So it's going to look at what other people do, what's on your phone, etc. Where this gets interesting is if I say something like, hey, Madam A, help me find a ride or I need a ride. And it, I've got both Lyft and Uber on my phone. I'm very curious what signals Madam A is going <laughs> to look at to pick which one to open. Because this isn't like mm-hmm. search where you can show everything. This is like, yeah, I'm just going to call up this one. So this fun. If it can make a smart choice in that scenario where it's either the faster route or the lower fare, I'm all for this. That's fantastic. It's it's making things a lot smarter. Yes. I feel like there's, especially given the antitrust environment right now, I'm, I'm super curious. It's going to make us lazier, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So moving right along, customers can also make in-scale purchases via Amazon.com on an Echo screen devices. Echo, or rather Amazon, will take 30% of that payment. So there you go. Those are some of the 31 news items. There's a couple more that I'm kind of like, eh, not so excited about. But that's that's kind of the theme and the overarching, everything that Amazon seems to care about at this moment in time, which is making Madame smarter making it more accessible wherever you are and reducing friction to get you inside the platform. Because they don't have a phone platform. They might not need one. I mean, if if they can get developers to bring this on. Yes and no. I mean, I want to dwell on it because we've covered this for a while now, but a lot of these types of things can already be done natively on iOS and Android through their respective assistants. But, and I'm not poo-pooing by any means what Amazon is doing here. I think it's great. But they have to do it this way because... Well, yes. But if you're used to shouting for Madam A, you're going to keep shouting yeah, for Madam A. you're right. A. You are correct. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about another company based in Seattle that's big in the smart home, Wise. This week, Wise sent out an email to all of its friends. It calls us friends instead of customers because it wants to be our friend. Letting <laughs> us know that... <laughs> it's sucking up. And you'll see why in a second. Letting us know that, yeah, providing people recognition is really a key thing for any smart camera company. Wise used to do it on the device through a really cool company called Exenor.ai, which was bought by Apple. And thus, Wise had to remove that from their device. It was sad because it actually worked. So Wise then went with cloud-based AI for people detection. What they didn't realize is that costs a lot more. And they can't actually provide it without asking for help. So they've created a program. Kevin, do you want to tell them about it? Yeah. Some of our listeners may have been uh, some or one of the 1.3 million friends who own a wise camera that got an email in the past couple of days explaining all this. I appreciate what wise has done here. They've fessed up. They've been transparent. You could say, well, they should have planned for having cloud-based costs, but no, I don't agree with that because they had basically a hardware partner that had edge person detection built into the wise cameras. So why would you plan for using cloud when you have that in your actual product? They didn't know that Apple was going to buy them and it is what it is. So basically what they're asking everyone or suggesting is a 
pay-what-you-want model. Be a friend. Help us out. However, if you don't want to pay, you can still use the person detection for the 12-second event videos at no cost. Keep using it for free. You can make monthly contributions in whatever amount you want to send, and they will be thankful. They do say they're going to reevaluate the method in a few months, and they are looking at a new subscription plan, which they are known for not having subscription plans, for by and large, because you don't have to have them, and you can do local storage of your videos uh, by default with an SD card. But they're looking at something called Cam Plus, which will be an optional upgrade for WISE cameras. They haven't said details on what it's going to cost or anything like that. They're, they're Basically, they're evaluating or rejiggering their business model because revenues are, are there, but now they have additional costs. Right. Razor thin margins. So having yeah. cloud costs, which you would have to do AI in the cloud, that wasn't part of the plan. Right. And and some of the folks on the WISE forums that are commenting on this, many people are pretty understanding, like, like I have been, but there's still a few that are like, oh, well, just switch to another edge provider. Yeah, okay, that gets rid of your cloud costs, but how are you going to get the edge provider's hardware in the 1.3 million devices out there? <laughs> Unless you put a USB dongle add-on, which is unsightly, or you literally replace the hardware, which that's not cost-effective either. So I get why they're going this way. I also understand that you have sunk costs in your hardware when you didn't have subscriptions and didn't have cloud. When you go cloud, it's pay for what you use. So if they could predict how many people were going to walk past a certain camera, everybody's camera, they could better predict their pricing or the cost. They can't do that. So I get what they're doing. I'm going to send them a few bucks each month because I like the feature. It's up to each individual, obviously. It's just interesting. It's wise goes Wikipedia. Huh? Like, you know how Wikipedia always... Oh, yeah. We just you? Yes, yeah. we were on a call last week, you and I, and it popped up for us both. That's, yes, yes. Please help us out, friend. Please. And again, we both give to Wikipedia. So sure, we get a lot of value out of that. So we can be salty about it and say, oh, they should have planned all this. But the reality is they probably really couldn't. And they can't do it any other way other than on their own or with a, another company through the cloud uh, without incurring massive costs. It's just interesting also because it hasn't been but maybe two months since Wink has moved to a subscription model. That was handled totally differently, uh-huh. not well handled at all, in my opinion, nor I can't think of anybody who's really said, yeah, this is great. I'm going to pay $5 a month now for the Wink Hub that was subscription free, or the Wink Hub's not going to work at all. So you're losing the functionality if if they decide you're going to have to pay for it or you, or you just don't get it, the person detection. But that's better than having a product that doesn't work at all. So I just really like how they've handled it. And they called us friends. Wink did not call us friends. All right. No, no. Let us, oh, and an update on Wink. Those, they had put a hiatus on their subscription, but that is now going back into effect. You will be charged if you signed up for it. And if you don't, yes, your Wink device will still work, but you're losing almost all of the functionality. You won't be able to change your devices, (laughs) add new devices, remove devices, and you won't get any more updates for those devices. I got that email too. So just in case you're still hanging on to your Wink with, with a hope and a prayer, you basically need to give them four ninety nine a month or give up. All right. So here's a fun question that Kevin and I, the soda giants, have brought this to the fore for us. And the question is, is now the time for QR codes in the U.S.? And the reason we're bringing this up is because two weeks ago, I think it was, Coke launched a freestyle machine that basically you could have a mobile app on your phone 
and a QR code associated with that. And when you came into contact with a Coke freestyle machine, you would scan the QR code on the machine, it would open the Coke app, and then it would give your preferences, your Coke preferences, to the machine, and that would pour you whatever drink you normally want to drink without you having to touch a bunch of buttons. Pepsi just did a deal with SodaStream to create a similar concept with sparkling beverages, and you go up, you have an app on your phone, there's a QR code on the machine, you scan the QR code, and then your preferences are transmitted. I am always looking for ways that my personal preferences can be transmitted out into the world or shared with devices in the real world in seamless fashions. This isn't truly seamless because you do need the apps for each, but I I like the idea and I'm kind of excited to see if this kind of promotes QR codes. I don't know. I love QR codes. I think they're just so easy. So anybody who's listening to the show right now who's not in the U.S. is probably laughing at us because QR codes are used extensively in many countries around the world, especially in Asia. WeChat codes for WeChat Pay and transportation, public transportation tickets. Everything is just scan, 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 all these QR codes. I think the issue here, the difference in the U.S., is that we tried QR codes too early and for things that maybe didn't make the most sense or provide the most value. And in that time when we were struggling to find reasons to use QR codes, NFC chips started showing up in phones and then eventually in wearables. The mobile payment scene took over completely with, with, I wouldn't say completely, but mostly with NFC chips. And therefore, we've kind of like dismissed QR codes completely. Now it's NFC tap to pay, tap to this. I'm sure that you could probably find a soda machine that you can tap to choose your your beverage of choice as well. I know I've done tap to pay on them. So I think it's been a thing of timing here in the US. I don't think Americans want to use QR codes yeah, because they don't want all those extra apps. Well, uh, in, yeah. part of it is probably like WeChat. You just open WeChat and you pay. Like everybody's in on WeChat, right? We're in China. So, mm-hmm. you know, that QR code in your WeChat app, you can pay for anything because so many different companies are hooked into that platform. So you exactly. don't have these weird apps you've got to download. The other thing is, I mean, when QR codes came out, basically, the stupidest applications, you would like scan a QR code in a magazine to get like an ad. You're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. an interactive ad right. with this QR code. How exciting. Right. No wonder no one used it. Right. I'm all for them, QR codes. I, I'm, I'm on your side, even though I was kind of like saying, we don't use them here. Yeah. And here's why. I was just explaining why. But I'm tired of all this app, app, app for everything. Like just to go to get my sandwich at Wawa, I order it at home in their app. And then when I get there, I have to scan the little order ticket at the register, which rings it up for the clerk, which is great because they don't have to like punch anything. They just scan that little ticket. And then I've got to either use my credit card or I've got to use my Apple Pay Watch or Samsung Pay or Google Pay. So it's a two-bit thing. Now it's now it's an app, an NFC tap, and it's it's just crazy. Too much. So too much. We'll see. Too much. We'll see if Big Soda helps us helps drive QR adoption. I'm going to get a QR code tattoo. Don't get a QR code tattoo. That is awful. Please, actually, what would it link to? All this stuff. Oh, I was going to say IoT podcast, <laughs> just- man. Scan to pay, scan to order, scan to get the soda, orange cream soda. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's talk about Intel and Ford. What's going on? We talk about self-driving cars and all the sensors in cars and the connectivity. 
And we don't talk about Intel all that much in that space. However, they have partnered with Mobileye, which is a subsidiary of Intel. And Ford is going to use Mobileye for its active safety features, as well as the driver assist systems. So this is the whole camera-based system and the algorithms and the chips and all that. I'm just surprised Ford went with Intel's Mobileye. It's a pretty substantial platform. So, well, who else is using it outside of Ford? I don't. <laughs> I mean, know. You, obviously Tesla is doing Tesla. GM has its cruise technology. We've, we've talked about just was it Mercedes or BMW just last week, but it certainly wasn't with Intel. I can't remember the last time I heard a car maker going with Intel. Okay, I can't remember either. It was a big deal a while back, but yeah, good for Intel, but good for them. Okay, moving right along to Fitbit news. As a Fitbit wearer, I was both a little excited and a little trepidatious. That is not a word, but I had trepidation feeling, what is the, what is the, I don't even know. Anyway, I have my doubts about this and I'm a little nervous to try it, but the (laughs) Fitbit Charge 4 has a feature that might be worth upgrading for, which is a smart wake up alarm. Yeah. So this is actually interesting from the perspective of, smart devices getting smarter instead of you setting an alarm to wake up by your Fitbit charge for the smart wake feature will measure and use an algorithm with your sleep tracker. And it will basically automatically wake you when it expects you are likely to feel the most rested, which is interesting if you don't have any place to be, but it's also (laughs) like putting a lot of faith in your capabilities. Because sometimes I know mine's like, you are awake or you are asleep. And I was clearly just laying in bed reading a book, right? So I I noticed that if I am pretty immobile reading a book on my Kindle, it thinks I'm asleep. And that's Hmm. fine. I am probably breathing very slowly and no heart rate. Sorry, a low heart rate. Not no heart. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing is, if I've had enough sleep, wouldn't I just wake up on my own? Well, what you think you've had enough sleep may not actually be correct. Oh, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I don't know if, if the algorithms are that smart, but if in theory, it should be waking you up at the exact appropriate time. I think this is interesting. I'm curious if there really is you an should exact try it. appropriate time. Well, I have a charge three. I don't know if I need a charge four um, just yet. What's the yeah. other feature? This is another feature that I think points to, but isn't quite exactly where it needs to be for the future. Right. I'd say maybe it's the beginning of a trend we need to see. Basically, the Fitbit folks have added something called dynamic GPS. So the Fitbit charge has GPS, so it can measure when you're out and about. Maybe you want to measure a run, so on and so forth. But that uses a lot of energy from the battery, and that's a small battery in that Fitbit. So dynamic GPS allows your Fitbit to use the GPS in your phone over Bluetooth. The phone has a much larger battery. Bluetooth on the Fitbit is not going to use as much of your battery, so that's good. So if you're carrying your phone and maybe your Fitbit's only half charged, you use the dynamic GPS to make sure that you get another extra day or two or whatever it might be from the Fitbit. That's kind of part of this whole, oh, let's have all of my personal devices working as a mesh to do things. Use the resources efficiently within my personal area network or whatever you want to call it. Oh, that was so much more elegant. I like your explanation. All right. Oh, thank you. In new product news, Hampton 
brands, which you may be familiar with their Brink or Benji Lock or the Array Smart Lock, for example, which was the first Wi-Fi, it was actually a solar-powered Wi-Fi lock that launched probably a year and a half ago. They now have a new brand of smart lights that is only available at Best Buy. It is the Peace lighting products. It is uh, Wi-Fi connected LED bulbs and single outlet smart plugs. And you can buy a two pack of bulbs, like normal bulbs that are also color changing. Those are going to be $15 per bulb if it's an A19 and $16.25 for a BR30, which is like the can style lights. And then the outlets are a two unit pack is going to be $18.99. And that's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap. Speaking of smart plugs, we have another option, although maybe not as cheap. Belkin has released their new compact Wemo Wi-Fi smart plug. And we wanted to mention this because last week we actually talked about Wemo Wi-Fi smart plugs. If you haven't purchased those yet from the question that we answered last week, this one's actually a little bit smaller. It's 45% smaller. Yeah. So it doesn't cover your whole outlet and stick out to the side as much. It just covers the top part of the outlet. It's It's nice. And you could buy one for $25, or you could buy a three-pack for 50 If you need any more than two, I'd get the three-pack. I would get the three-pack. And these, just to because uh, we didn't mention this last week, only because the question was around Madam A usage with the Wemo uh, smart plugs. These work with Madam A, Google Assistant, and HomeKit. Woo! Oh, it's the trifecta. And maybe one day they'll work with Chip. Ah! Okay, I'm just being silly now. It's that time of the week where I get silly and we answer your questions. That's right. It's time for the Internet of Things podcast hotline, which is brought to you by Schlage. The best home automation adds convenience, not hassle. And with its built-in Wi-Fi, the Schlage Encode Smart Wi-Fi Deadbolt shows you just how easy secure can be. Learn more at schlage.com. You can also call us and be entered to win a Schlage Smart Lock if You call before the end of this month and ask us your question, or just call and say you want to be entered to win. You can reach us at 512-623-7424, and we would love to hear from you. Now, let's go to this week's question, which is from Bob, who actually has a question about a Schlage lock. Let's hear it. Hey, Stacey. Hey, Kevin. It's Bob from Burlington, Ontario, Canada calling. I have a Schlage lock. And it's set up with a 30-second uh, delay after the lock retracts and automatic locks itself. I'm also controlling it with Madame A. And I have a Z-Wave light just inside my front door. I'm working everything through a SmartThings hub. And what I want to have happen is when I open my Schlage lock and walk in the door, I want that Z-Wave light to come on and stay on until the Schlage lock automatically relocks. Is that possible? Could you let me know, please? I'd appreciate it. Bob, it's a great question. And I applaud you for doing exactly what I do. I have a nest lock, but it works the same way. I have an automation set to automatically relock the door. If nobody has manually locked it, I think I have it set for like a three or four minute delay. So that doesn't answer your question, but good on you. So with smart things, I don't believe you can do this natively. And that's probably the issue that you've run into. You've tried to do it natively and you can't do it. However, there is a third-party device handler, a piece of software that you would install on your SmartThings hub that allows or tells different devices how to work together if they don't work together 
because smart things got them to work together. This is called lock user management. We'll put a link in the show notes. We found it in the community.smartthings.com forums. But basically, you could set any kind of actions or automations based on a door locking, a door unlocking, a door relocking. There's tons you can do. So that's the missing piece of the puzzle for you. I think if you get this installed, and it should just be a simple download, that you should be able to do exactly what you want to do, and probably then some with this. Excellent. All right, Bob, I hope this helps you. And... If you have a question and would like us to try to answer it on the show, please give us a call at 512-623-7424, and you'll also be entered to win a Schlage Lock. And that concludes this portion of the show, but stay tuned for my guest. This week's guest is John Smee, who is the Vice President of Engineering at Qualcomm and also the Head of Cellular Research there. We're going to be talking about the next iteration of 5G. It's called 5G. NR Lite. And I think of it as the Goldilocks standard for both IoT devices and other devices out there. You'll learn more about that in a minute. But first, let me tell you about an event I'm hosting next week on July 28th. This event is going to be amazing. It's called Everything is Connected, and we're going to talk all about how to build products and ecosystems for a connected era. The idea is that everything is going to be connected going forward. So what does that mean when you're building a product? And that goes for what does it mean to build a product for consumers? And also, what does it mean to build a product or a service designed for enterprise usage? We're going to have two panels with experts in the smart home space and experts in the, we'll call it enterprise space. And we're also going to be having roundtables where you will get a chance to speak with experts, share your opinions, ask your questions. So if you would like to register for this event, it's free. Again, it's Tuesday, July 28th. And all you have to do is go to stacyoniot.com slash connected. I hope to see you there. And now let's hear from this week's guest. everyone, welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and today's guest is John Smee, who is VP of Engineering and the Head of Cellular Research at Qualcomm. Hello, John. How are you today? Very good, Stacey. Okay. And as I promised y'all, we're going to be talking about the next iteration of 5G. This is 5G NR Lite, and it is not approved yet. Is that correct, John? That's right. It's part of the Release 17 status, which is moving through the standardization as we speak. Awesome. Okay. So this particular segment is going to get a little wonky, but we're going to explain everything for you. And you're going to want to know about this because this is going to be really relevant for the industrial IoT. So let's take it away. We'll start with what the heck we're talking about. Can you explain how the releases work for 5G broadly? Sure. So the 5G standard, similar to the 4G LTE standards that came before, basically progress in steps that are normally about a year and a half apart. And these are called releases. And so the first, I'm actually speaking to you on a 5G NR release 15 device, which was the standard that was completed and is now commercial. And then release 16, which was the second step in that standardization, uh, just finished. And so now globally, we've embarked on the standardization of release 17. 
Got it. And release 17 is what we're calling NR light. But we'll just, and we'll just orient people. So the car, what you're talking on, the phone with 5G in it, there's been a lot of focus. The original focus for 5G was mostly about super fast mobile broadband and a lot of capacity on the network. Yes? That's right. Okay. So I feel like just to help people along before we get to the, the future, we'll talk about what just happened with the release 16. And what do they call that? Is that NRU? Well, in release 16, there is various components. So, and so one of them was absolutely NRU, which was enabling 5G NR to work in unlicensed spectrum, as well as licensed spectrum. So that was pretty compelling because it could enable, for example, for IoT, if someone was wanting to deploy a 5G public uh, private network in, for example, a factory or a hospital, uh, they could do that even if they didn't have spectrum. So historically, cellular communication systems, uh, you were an operator in, in the United States, you would have your spectrum from the FCC, and then you would go and deploy your, your infrastructure equipment and devices. With NRU, you're able to deploy the cellular technologies in unlicensed spectrum. That is, you don't need a license to operate in the spectrum. And so you're able to then you know, expand the number of people who can deploy the network and also enable operators to piggyback both licensed and unlicensed together to give consumers even more immersive, higher data rate experiences. And typically those consumers are not people like you and I, they're people like factory workers or maybe a hospital, which is trying to provide more data or a separate network for maybe their IoT gear. Yes? Yeah, and, and it actually could be both. So there is the, the fact that you can have um, NRU in your handset device, for example, and that would enable both license and unlicensed operation at the same time. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, well, that when we're looking at the 5G and our expansion into this range of private network opportunities, hybrid network opportunities, then, as you mentioned, whether you're deploying for a hospital or a factory or a school, you can do that on unlicensed spectrum and get the benefit of the full 5G technical capabilities. Ooh, we'll stick with 16 just for a little bit because this did just happen. And I know there were lots of things related with release 16 that focused on latency and things that also matter for the industrial and enterprise IoT. Can you talk about some of the other features there? Sure. Yeah. So release 16 was a pretty big package, as you mentioned. And so what's interesting about it is that it included items reducing latency. And sometimes it's hard for consumers to say, well, is latency low enough? Like how low can you go? And the interesting thing is it's one of those technology um, enablers where once you have a lower latency air interface, that is things are happening, you know, in, in fractions of a millisecond as opposed to tens of milliseconds, then it starts changing the what is happening where in the network. So imagine the role of the central cloud. And, and, and so we're familiar today, you might be watching content that's stored on the cloud. But what's interesting in the last, uh, you know, five years or so, and even more so as we look to the future, this aspect of the edge cloud. And why the edge cloud is important? Because the reason we have cellular communications is to enable, in many cases, interaction with the cloud. And so this aspect of the edge cloud and low latency that's part of 5G go hand in hand together because it's enabling some of these more mission-critical applications where edge compute and edge control and communications that are high reliable and low latency, that URLLC, which stands for ultra-reliable low latency communication, that was one of the pillars of Release 16. And so what's interesting is when we look at the full span of Release 16 items, 
then you're seeing that that aspect of ultra-reliable low-latency communication or mission-critical design also went hand-in-hand with you know, enabling connected vehicles, what we call sidelink, where you could have car-to-car direct communications is also part of Elite 16. Or things like high-precision positioning. When we're t- Obviously, we're having a voice call right now, but looking forward as we have more and more augmented and virtual reality on the network, then this range of devices, some of those use cases and scenarios will benefit from knowing where the device is and even the orientation of the headset so that they maybe are projecting an image onto the person's lenses. So the role of precision uh, positioning and the role of communications go hand in hand together. And then, as we mentioned, the aspect of unlicensed spectrum and power savings, another big component in Release 16, that, that the mobility, the, the core aspect of cellular and all those handoffs that are happening that people are not even aware of, were, those were made better as part of Release 16 as well. Got it. Okay. And, you know, I will say indoor positioning or more precision positioning is also really important in settings where you might have a a robot that is trying to navigate around people, having the ability to say, oh, I am here and maybe someone, I should avoid this area. This is used in factories today to keep people safe while they're working among some of these dangerous machines. But I, I think it could be really interesting for like drone delivery and probably tons of other places. I'm like, not just VR. Absolutely. I think that's a great point, Stacey, that when we look at, at positioning and precise positioning and whether it's an AGV in a factory or a drone delivery, the value of, of this positioning becomes more and more interesting. And it's almost like um, a digital twin of, you know, a virtualized world that's a replica of the physical world. And that becomes more and more important uh, for many of these industrial applications. So you're absolutely right that when we look at industrial IoT, there's the, the reliable communications piece. But as you mentioned, positioning for ground robots, AGVs, factory equipment, and also making the humans in the factory much more productive, enabling them to have that interactive uh, experience that's also leveraging positioning. So very good point. Okay. And let's talk timing really fast because this was approved at the beginning of July. There are some factory 5G networks, although most of them are example networks. There's not a lot of widespread 5G in factories or enterprises just yet, or at least here in the US. How how does this get rolled out to people? How does this get rolled out to people who have phones? Like, is my 5G phone going to get this capability, even though it doesn't use it? Well, what will happen is there will be a, a range of new devices that are coming, you know, every year and a half or so. And so we have these in, these release 15 devices today. And, and as you mentioned, it is possible to deploy, you know, 5G release 15 in a factory, it'll just get even more capabilities if you deploy release 16. And so a good example is, you know, for example, in Germany, they allocated 100 megahertz specifically for industrial IoT deployments of 5G. So that that band at 3.7 gigahertz was targeted to enable uh, a lot of different enterprises and industrial centers to deploy 5G within their premises. And so we're seeing the not only the capabilities release 15 to address that, but also release 16 with some of those additional, you know, time-sensitive networking as part of release 16. As we mentioned, this aspect of positioning, low latency, you know, multi multiple antennas working together in something called multi-TRP. So all of those interesting set of release 16 features better enable these deployments into these connected factories. And now the ecosystem is, is creating products for that so that they can be rolled out. Okay. Now let's let's zip forward to the future a little bit and let's talk about 
the next release. So this is something we should expect in the next year and a half. So what are the features that we should be looking for in NR Lite? Because this is definitely something that feels very IoT, very industrial IoT oriented. Yeah. So when we think of the 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 capabilities of, for example, today's smartphones and, and even XR headsets or these very high data rate applications, we're talking, you know, gigabits per second. And one of the compelling things of very, very high data rates is you're doing things faster and then you're finished. So you might be, whether you're downloading a movie or you're doing some interesting immersive application, you're able to get those big packets through much faster. Now, at the same time, when we look at the full span of potential devices and applications and use cases, then there's a lot of interesting stuff that that could use, say, 100 megabits per second or 150 megabits per second. Think of things like industrial cameras or health monitors or things that are connecting like a high-end wearable, where maybe it's a watch with a, a small screen on it and you want to be getting updates or even logistics trackers. So there's a lot of interesting applications that are around, say, 100 megabits per second when they're communicating. And obviously, they're not necessarily doing 100 megabits per second each and every second. It's more, you know, you have a burst of data and then the device will go to sleep and wake up and transmit something, you know, at some periodic rate. And so the interesting thing of of the reduced capabilities in NR Lite are also addressing a range of basically traffic profiles. So when we're looking at expanding that IoT ecosystem with 5G, one of the core aspects of this NR Lite is the fact that we're going to be able to address a much larger number of devices with a much wider range of data rate requirements, power requirements, energy consumption. Maybe there's some devices we want to have that they're, you know, they're going a much longer time between charge times. And we shouldn't forget that there's also what we call EMTC and NBIOT, the low power wide area technology that's been evolving uh, originally on the LTE branch of 3GBP. And so that low power wide area is much lower data rates. So that's even you know much lower than 100 megabits per second. And it's something that's going for the very low end industrial sensors, agricultural sensors and utility meters. So it's interesting to think of the you have the high end, which we mentioned the gigabits per second smartphones, and then also gigabit per second connected laptops, extended reality, mission critical applications. And then you have the very low end of low power wide area where it's about a very infrequent, maybe a couple times a day, you're just sending a few small packets. And then NR Lite is addressing that huge area in the middle. So that aspect of things that are not super high data rates, and they're also not super low data rates. So they're in that that middle ground. It's the Goldilocks standard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. And, and that makes sense. So when I think about this, like, I know that on the network side, MBIOT is a software update. But on the device side, you have radios that are optimized for these low power, low spectrum. So it's not like you can say, oh, I already have like LTE on my phone. I'm just going to like get some MBIOT on there too. Um, it doesn't work that way. But when we're talking about in our light, are we going to see a whole class of devices with these types of radios? And I assume they'll be optimized for better battery life because they're not doing gigabits per second. What what can we expect, I guess, both on the limitations and how we should view the device side? That's an excellent question. And it is absolutely, you're right, that there will be end-to-end optimization so that an, a reduced capability NR light device will be optimized, you know, based on its overall footprint, what does it need to do? And so if it's, a, as we mentioned, a industrial camera or a health monitor, 
then that device will be optimized so that from the energy consumption, the RF, the baseband, how we're doing the antennas, how we're doing the, all the different techniques for power management, and a lot of interesting things relating to make sure that you have excellent battery life or about how you selectively turn on and off various components within the device. And the air interface itself uh, has various techniques that enable those sleep modes. So I think that's what excites me most about the reduced capability is that you're able to have an end-to-end focus on that use case. It's a little more targeted. And so just as the high data rate scenarios are also focused on you know, mobility and, and energy consumption, where you're able to drive towards a more aggressive target with the reduced capability and our light. And so it is that aspect of end-to-end focus, the RF design, the baseband design, and obviously in release 17, that's where we have changes to the air interface to enable that end-to-end improvements in performance. So we've spent a lot of time talking about NR Lite. I know that the spec gets approved in like a year and a half. So when can we see these devices? 2023 is probably a good a good year to use. Okay. And I would say there's an economic factor here. And I'd love to talk briefly about this, which is NBIOT has struggled a little bit just because, you know, carriers aren't seeing... It, it's not necessarily economically viable to update for such a low data rate device, right? So no one wants to pay $10 a month so their connected smoke detector can send something, right? It's just or very few people want to pay for that. And carriers are like, eh, how do we charge for this? So I'm, I'm very curious as we see NR light come through, or maybe more industrial, higher value settings come through, will that change the economic rationale, or maybe the unlicensed aspect will change the economic rationale for this? How do we actually get this deployed? When we look at the economic standpoint of, of reduced capability in our light, that's very important consideration because it enables an ecosystem to develop that's addressing some of these use cases. And so just as we saw, you know, the application space take off in smartphones. So in the 4G era, you know, we had application stores for, for Android and iOS, and you saw the, the proliferation of many types of whether it's a gaming application, a productivity application, something else, all those things kind of came to fore based on the existence of these very compelling devices. And so what's exciting about NR Lite, that reduced capability, when we're looking at these connected wearables, connected health industries, it could be a humidity sensor, a thermometer, a motion sensor, an accelerometer, uh, things like the um, e-health or surveillance cameras. So all of those different use cases have slightly different data rate requirements, different latency requirements, But they also, as you mentioned, have this economic opportunity where people can start saying, you know what, I think people are going to really value having this sort of connected medical equipment. And you look at the value proposition, is it a consumer paying X dollars per month or X dollars per gigabyte, or is it something that actually gets end-to-end adapted as part of an overall new vertical market? And I think that's what excites us is this huge interest, interest in 5G from many other industries. So we look at, you know, 5G ACIA, this, this conglomerate of, of this international organization that's looking at, hey, how can we make as an, as an industry 5G relevant to a lot of these industrial applications? Part of that is re- recognizing that the value proposition is not just in the data bucket that, that's being paid for by a consumer. The value proposition starts becoming uh, something that's related to health, something that's related to productivity, something that's related to logistics and tracking, or even things like precision agriculture, all of a sudden the data is enabling something to be more productive. I think we had a lot of good discussions on 
if we look at a connected factory, well, if you're making your workers 10% more productive, it's not about how many gigabytes that took. It's about, hey, wow, we're able to enable them to be at their full productivity. And so that's a huge economic benefit, both to the workers and to the overall factory environment. And so when we look at the economic investment into 5G, and then we look at, hey, what's a forward compatible investment? You deploy your network, well, your network can be flexibly addressing many different scenarios. You're not putting in a 5G network just because you want to have 5G smartphone users. You also want to have that same network connect vehicles, connect sensors, connect cameras, connect laptops, connect many other different types of scenarios. And that's one of the things that network slicing enables to happen in a very flexible way. So turning that back to IoT, if you have an IoT slice on the network side, that also enables a lot of interesting exploration of the business opportunity for these connected devices. So we look at what's the end-to-end smart city model. So if a given operator is partnering with a given city, well, what's the right way they can connect the buses, connect various types of transportation logistics, connect the city workers, connect a much broader subset of that city in a way that's optimized per use case. And so that does bring in different uh, economic models for the investment and the economic return, and then even the value proposition to the end users and consumers. Got it. And that makes sense. And maybe we'll get there. I, I feel like I feel like in some ways, it's the business models holding us back. I would say business models and a lack of trust in the variety of services. So we'll, we'll see if those ever get addressed. Who knows? Well, John, I feel like we've covered a lot today, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Stacey, for reaching out for this opportunity. So we've spent a lot of time talking about NR Lite. I know that the spec gets approved in like a year and a half. So when can we see these devices? 2023 is probably a good year to use. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week. 